the wrestling life. Hey everybody, it's The Wrestling Life, it's episode 257, Happy New Year! It's our first show of of 2021, what a year we have coming up. I'm Ethan. (laughs) I'm Liam. You ever start a sentence and you don't know how it's going to end? Almost exclusively, as anyone who has listened to this show before will know. Anyway, uh, we have so much to talk about this week. And as always, so many things we can't talk about right here on the first and still the only wrestling podcast. That's right. As podcasting was invented seven years ago, we sat here and we're like, you know what? There are no podcasts about wrestling. And Liam, you were brave enough to <laughs> say we should make we should make a podcast about wrestling. That's right. You know, a lot of people said it couldn't be done. A lot of people said that two guys couldn't sit on the internet and talk about wrestling. But I said nay. I said nay. It can be done, and it shall be done. And we were the first, and we're still the only ones to be brave enough to do it. That's right. All right, so this is part two of our Vince McMahon's Biggest Gambles retrospective. And we're specifically only talking about his gambles in the world of wrestling, we're not talking about the World Bodybuilding Federation. We're not <laughs> talking about the Evil Knievel Jump Snake River Canyon. We're not talking about XFL 1.0. We're not talking about XFL 2.0. We're not talking about Tout. Uh, we're not talking about WWE Films. Uh, we're not talking about No Holds Barred. We're specifically just his wrestling gambles as the uh, chairman, president, CEO of WWF slash WWE. In our first episode, we covered kind of from the, the national expansion at the end of 83 up till eh, 1995 or so, where he had, and we the last topic we touched on was uh, kind of the whole diesel experiment <laughs> going, yeah, going for a full year with Diesel as WWF champion and then going back to Bret Hart. And Diesel would be out of the company, you know, six months, six, seven months later. But uh, Vince always had a very strange relationship with Bret. And from pretty much from the time that he made him champion in 1992, seemed to always be looking for who that next guy would be to replace Brett. And in 1996, he went with Shawn Michaels. And boy, oh boy. <laughs> boy, oh boy, the boyhood dream. That's right. Uh, now, famously, on the Bruce, the uh, the Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard show, Pritchard says that it was Pat Patterson who would like two or three years before Vince went with Sean would be like, Hey, Sean's the best guy in the company. You need to go with Sean. And Vince was like, he will never be my champion. (laughs) And then 1986 comes along and they do the boyhood dream. And Bret Hart is looking to maybe transition into acting and wants to take some time off after being on the road, pretty much nonstop for 12 years. (laughs) And, Brett takes the summer off and goes and does Lonesome Dove and he puts Sean over at WrestleMania in an Iron Man match. And the boyhood dream comes true. And Vince lines up some monsters for Sean to slay with Vader and Diesel and guys like that. What do you think of the decision, A, to move from Brett to Sean? I mean, it seems like maybe Brett kind of forced his hand there. Sure. And. Brett wanted to take time off and Brett wanted to maybe try to act. And so there weren't a lot of choices. <laughs> he'd already, he'd already tried diesel and diesel was kind of, you know, diesel would be out of the company three months after the WrestleMania. But Shawn Michaels as top guy in 1996, 
in hindsight, as a gamble, did this work? Um, I think it depends. If you look at it from a long-term scenario, uh, Shawn Michaels has sold a lot of merchandise, uh, has helped train some future talent, <laughs> Uh, that and obviously now is involved in NXT. A lot of people who are now wrestling in WWE got into wrestling or were inspired to become wrestlers because of Shawn Michaels. So I think, and would they have been if he was kept at that intercontinental level? Maybe. Um, but you know, you don't hear a lot of people saying like Mr. Perfect got them into wrestling, you know? Right. Like right. as great as Kurt Hennig was, as great as Rick Rude was. And maybe when you're a little bit older, you go back and you watch those guys and you really realize, wow, these guys were really great. But it's it's when you're especially if you're young, it's the top guys are going to be who you notice, especially if you're a kid. So I do think there it paid off in the long term, certainly with his comeback run later on. However, in the short term, they came very close to going out of business in 1990. <laughs> Shawn Michaels was a worse draw on the road and um on pay-per-view than Bret Hart was like he so business in the short term they almost ran the company under <laughs> and you I don't know if, but again and unlike I don't think you can even give him the excuse that he didn't have opponents ready because they want as you said they lined up diesel for him he wrestled mankind he wrestled uh Sid he wrestled Vader um he also like there was if you you know it depends on who you ask of course but there was plans for, for a very long program with him and Vader, and then Sean, in the middle of their SummerSlam match, threw a hissy fit and decided he wasn't going to work with Vader anymore. Um, <laughs> and suddenly things got changed, and Sean just beat Vader, and then they switched to Sid. Um, so, like I don't like in the long term, there is because they pushed. There was value and return on the investment in pushing Sean Michaels in the long term. But in the immediate, it wasn't a success. I think that's fair to say. I I think that's yeah. I think you can grade that as a, as an incomplete or something like that. Yeah. Be- because yes, they business was terrible. <laughs> was business going to be terrible anyway? Maybe. Right. But when you got Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and Roddy Piper who still had marquee value left on the other channel, and you got. <laughs> Shawn Michaels, who was not those guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> on Whatever his strengths. Right. Yeah. He was he he was not he was not those guys. And they didn't help him either. They didn't help him either by having him try to cut Hulk Hogan promos and referring to Shawn Michaels fans as the click. <laughs> <laughs> like if you watch Babyface Shawn Michaels promos from this era, it's cringe stuff. <laughs> yeah and i know sean's talked about that of him feeling like he was kind of a, a cool bad boy with an edge and then all of a sudden he's aw shucks it's this boyhood dream things and he has like an elderly man as his manager and <laughs> and it's yeah all of a sudden he's this like white you know white meat squeaky clean baby face whereas seemingly on the rise the things that were working for him was that he w- wasn't that type of character and certainly i think the stuff people remember when he when he did the dx stuff later on and 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 when he would occasionally kind of flirt with being a heel in his second run um it was not white meat clean cut baby face stuff so yeah i mean that their decision to go well you're the top guy now so this is how you have to act probably didn't help but yeah for i yeah i think this is this is a this is a complicated one i wouldn't call it a failure but i wouldn't call it a success either all right so then kind of chronologically here after sean taker had a little run with the title and brett got one more run with the title and then sean got one more run with the title and then sean got hurt and then sean took a bump on a casket (laughs) (laughs) and a guy who they had brought in to just be a solid veteran to lose to people, Steve Austin. <laughs> they brought in in you know late '95, early '96. Um, my 
timeline is completely messed up right now. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they bring Austin in to be just a, a guy, you know, a good hand. Right. And, and suddenly he gets over. He gets over as this killer heel. And then they do the, they do the double turn at the 97 Mania with Brett and Austin. And then as Austin gets hurt in 97, but he's still clearly on the ascent. He's so, he's so hot that they find ways to keep him on TV, even though he has a broken neck and can't take bumps. And Sean is hurt all of a sudden. And (laughs) (laughs) they are in a position where, all right, we're going all the way with Steve Austin. I can't imagine today someone getting first of all someone getting that over organically. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, them actually having the guts to pull the trigger <laughs> on, on somebody like Steve Austin, but they did in 1998 and I mean <laughs> a gamble? Yes, cuz Steve Austin had not been on top anywhere. Yeah, and, and yet they made the decision to really strap the rocket to the guy, and you can't argue that it wasn't a huge success. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no question this was a success. It's it's kind of like imagine I'm trying to even like put this in terms that would make sense. It's like imagine if it turned out in like 2012 that Cesaro was like a freaking incredible promo. Like <laughs> I know he had cut, and I know he had, and I know Austin had cut good promos at WCW, and he had done a a lot of good promo work in ECW just prior to signing. So they should have known he could talk, but they didn't. They made him a mute called the ringmaster and gave him Ted DiBiase as his manager. Yes. Um, So they clearly didn't think he could talk. They brought him in, as you said, to be a good hand. So just imagine if all of a sudden it turned out Cesaro was this great promo and he was more over than anybody. And hey, there was a minute there when that Cesaro swing was probably the most over thing on a lot of Raws. But um, but imagine like this perfect storm of stuff and the top of the card is starting to thin out a little bit and you need a new top guy and them actually having the confidence to go. All right. All right. Cesaro, you're up. We're building everything around you. You're winning, the, you're winning the rumble. You're winning the belt and you're the new top guy and we're feeding everybody to you. <laughs> like that would never happen now even if a guy was getting over organically. I mean, we saw how they fought tooth and nail to keep Daniel Bryan from anywhere near the main event of WrestleMania in 2014. They were determined that Dave Bethesda versus Randy Orton was going to be the main event of that show. Um, And only when their hand was truly forced did they pull that trigger. So yeah, just it's a a weird, perfect storm of them, quote-unquote, taking a chance on a guy who they didn't see as that level when he was hired and him catching fire with the crowd and him being put on top for the first time ever and it all working out. It's definitely was a gamble from uh, on paper at least, but yeah, it's, it's like this perfect storm and obviously the rest is history. Austin's, you know, a lot of attendance and pay-per-view and merchandise records still belong to Steve Austin. If you adjust for it, I'm sure in some cases you'd have to adjust for inflation, but yeah, that's, (laughs) You know, I don't know how big of a gamble it was because he was the hot guy and you needed a new top guy, but it was still a gamble and it paid off tremendously. Yep. Impossible to argue with that. So I see the next big gamble not as like The Rock because The Rock was absolutely can't miss (laughs) in an era where they didn't necessarily botch can't miss. And... Mick Foley came along, and Mick Foley was another guy that they hired just to have on the roster and ended up getting himself over. And Mick was always there to work with the guys, but he was Mick was never really the guy. And Rock was the guy by default in 2000 when Austin got hurt. But it was Rock was always 1A. I mean, Rock, Rock has a lot of records, too, mm-hmm. <laughs> from that 2000 period, but it's like, it, yes, it was The Rock, but it was also st- still Steve Austin, <laughs> right? That 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 set that set the product on fire for, and then you know they brought Triple H along, and they put him in the top mix, 
And to his credit, he fit in as kind of like another guy for the top guys to work with. So yeah, Austin's working with Rock. Rock's working with Triple H. Everybody's working with Foley. Undertaker's in the mix. You got a good top mix there. So then 2001 comes along. And uh, you got the invasion. Austin gets hurt. Kurt Angle comes along. Kurt's in that mix too now. Rock's kind of in and out now uh, because of Hollywood. So then Rock is gone as a full-timer. Austin is gone because he took, takes his ball and goes home. Mm-hmm. And they flirt briefly with Hogan, who <laughs> has a, sh- a short run on top. And really, it was... I think it was a, a, a worthwhile risk to give... Hogan was so molten lava hot in 2002 that it was like, okay, yep, he's got he's to have the title. And then they put it on him, and people immediately lost interest. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. at, at least you tried it. Like, I don't consider that, like, a huge gamble, though, because that was also a no-brainer at the time. So then 03 comes along, and Austin is gone as a wrestler. And Rock is in Hollywood. And Triple H becomes the guy. And the entire format of Monday Night Raw for the next 20 years would be set. (laughs) Where there's a 15-minute promo at the start of every show. And they build Monday Night Raw around Triple H, who gets to do his Four Horsemen tribute act. And so I consider this the next big gamble, and that was building the product around Triple H in the only year since 1997 that they've lost money, 2003. Building everything around Triple H, whether by default or design, they built around Triple H from like that 03 to 05 period. And what do you think? Did it was it was a gamble? Because he had been a guy, but he had never been the guy. Uh huh. But, and you could say maybe things were going to go down anyway because you didn't have Rock Rock or Austin around anymore. But they lost money in 2003. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think if you're saying did the gamble pay off, it paid off for one guy uh, really well. Paid off for Paul Levesque, uh, you know, as good as any gamble has ever paid off for anyone. (laughs) As far as for the company, they didn't have Rock and Austin. They had Goldberg. And uh, Goldberg spent a while doing comedy. And then Triple H got to beat him a couple times. And then finally Triple H put him over in a long, boring match like three months after Goldberg wasn't so hot anymore. And then a year later, Goldberg's out and Brock leaves. And yep, we're right back to Hunter's. <laughs> Hunter's our top guy. Obviously, there are other people who get a cup of coffee. Your, your Benoit's, your Guerrero's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Sean comes back and gets a month reign with the belt. But yes, Triple H is the guy that whole, whole time. And for better or worse, uh, you know, business goes a little bit down <laughs> in those years. So I, I don't think it was a success in the same way that it's like there are things that are now just people look at it and go, this is just what wrestling is. And then I look at it and go, well, it didn't used to be. And then Triple H and Shawn Michaels did this. And basically <laughs> it's the Bret Hart thing and it, Triple H ruined wrestling. Um <laughs> So I would say this did not pay off for the company in the long term, <laughs> building their show around heels instead of the heroes as they had previously done was not a ticket. Having him beat every up and coming star that was dumb enough to work a program with him uh, over the next few years, not great, not great, was not a great gamble. Everybody, uh, everybody but Edge. <laughs> yeah, everybody but Edge and... Kurt was smart enough to get get away from him after the the first angle with him and Stephanie and whatever that was ninety nine or two thousand. Uh, Kurt Kurt Angle was pretty smart enough to stay away from him for the rest of his WWE tenure after that. But uh, 
yes, everyone else, you're Rob Van Dams, you're Ben Was, you know, etc. Uh, Orton, all... Orton on the way up. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, yeah, that was they just kind of had this three year period where they decided we don't need any new stars. <laughs> And I don't know if that's being gun shy because a bunch of people just left and you're worried about guys, you know, building their name off your company and, and going to and then going elsewhere. But oof, that's that's some it's it, those shows are it's different because they're still Triple H was still like reacted to like a big star by the crowds and stuff. And there's still other big star Undertaker still around. Kane's still around some of these people that got giant reactions every week when they came out um but that television in that era is is some rough stuff and i think it's evident in that that guy that was the guy on top as you said the last time they ever lost money so i'm gonna say this 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 is another mixed bag <laughs> uh because again it was a very successful time for paul Levesque, but uh not so much for the company with uh, with him on top and no strong prospects mm-hmm. from uh, that kind of late O two to to through the end of O four. Yeah, I think th- I think that's more than fair. <laughs> I I like some of the TV from that time. They were pretty. They were better at like making uh, episodic television, like. Mm-hmm. Okay, week one builds to week two, builds to week to week three, builds to your pay per view. It's just the problem was that the pay per view generally the heel, <laughs> the heel, <laughs> the heel will get his hand raised. <laughs> like yeah, I like some of the TV from that time, but yeah, to your point. Yeah, there's stuff to enjoy there. Like you, you have like your Bischoff and Austin stuff, and you know, Sean working with different guys and stuff. There's definitely good stuff in it, but the the stuff with Triple H just in that era just kind of makes my <laughs> eyes my eyes glaze over. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. All right. So I see the next the next big gamble after kind of that Triple H era. They are in star building mode for the first time in a long time. And they make so I, I see two – this is kind of a twofold gamble here. They decide that the two guys that they're going to make are Dave Batista and John Cena. And we can examine that one at, on its own merits in a second. But I see the second part of that as clearly right after that WrestleMania 21 there at the beginning of 05, they have a draft – or yeah – they have uh, Batista on top on Raw, and Cena's the WWE champion over on SmackDown. And Raw's the A show. It's always been the A show. As long as Vince is around, it's going to be the A show. So mm-hmm. he, so Dave Batista was his pick for his show. And then just like three months later, they do a draft. Two months later, they do a draft, and they flip them. And they flip John Cena to Raw and Dave Batista to SmackDown, and they go with Cena as the guy. So. There's two gambles here. There's picking those two guys out of whatever crop of talent they had at the time. And then two, getting cold feet right off the bat, basically. (laughs) And switching from Cena being 1B or 1A to being the number one guy who would then dominate almost the next decade. Um, how do you grade, first of all, their choice of those two guys? And secondly, how do you grade ultimately flip-flopping them? So, yeah, I mean, I think if you look around, obviously there was talent we mentioned. There previously seemed to be a pretty pretty strong uh, momentum building behind Randy Orton. Randy Orton, perhaps because of, him being Randy Orton uh, <laughs> did not last in that top spot, uh, losing the title three weeks after winning it to, uh, to pop age probably didn't help, but um, he had obviously had some, some demons as they like to say. <laughs> yes. Uh, that may have prevented him from a long-term success in that era, uh, even if they had picked him as the guy, but um, yeah, it's a funny story. Cause obviously Dave Batista was originally not even the fourth guy in, in evolution, right? It was, was it gin track? Yeah, uh huh. They film vignettes and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
Like it is wild if you look at that that crew of OVW guys and how many of them were given shots to be something before they finally kind of all right, we'll give Batista a shot finally. And after his brief run as the deacon, uh, <laughs> he gets he gets to be the fourth guy in evolution and suddenly he that 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 slow burn of him eventually turning on Triple H and Ric Flair is is some really, really good storytelling. And I think these two guys were the guys. If you look around, your other options are Orton or, yeah, some of these other unproven guys. You're, uh, you know, we. I have some love for the con man Rob Conway and some of the other, <laughs> some of the other guys. Obviously, Matt Morgan, I guess, was still hanging around. You look at that guy and think he had a chance to be something, but uh, despite Mike Tenney telling me he was going to be the next big thing for about the next. 15 years in TNA and he never quite made it. So yeah, I think unquestionably it was something of a gandle to just go, okay, these are the two guys. These are the two guys. We're going to feed everybody to them from here on out. That was a gamble. Um, it is. I, and once they decided to make the switch, I think it was, it's hard, it's hard to say because they were both over, but I think Cena was always going to have more chance to be that prototypical breakout crossover star because I think mm-hmm. from day one, he had more, he was just a more, you know, if, as far as, you know, carrying himself on television as a more personable, boisterous guy. And if you hear any interviews with Dave Batista, he's a very quiet dude. And I think, uh, not that he wasn't great, but I, I see why they kind of realized the switch. And again, to your point, we're still in an era at this point where they're willing to go, okay, that initial gamble, okay, these are definitely our two guys, but maybe we had the one in the 1A backwards, and maybe it's time to switch, and we're still willing to do that in this era. And we're right. still willing to, you know, trains starting to roll, but it's not rolling so far that we can't, uh, you know, change the destination or whatever. I'm kind of losing track of metaphors. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think as a gamble of picking those two guys, it certainly worked. These are arguably uh, maybe along with edge are the, the last stars they ever made. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then obviously the decision to switch to Cena as the a guy and, and Batista as the B show guy, I think both worked out really well. I know Batista ran into a lot of personal issues on, on the SmackDown side, as far as like stuff with Booker T and, and some of the other guys he had to work with uh, on that side. But Man, he they I mean he still had some some pretty entertaining stuff and certainly once he got to work with Edge and then people like that and Undertaker later on. So yeah, I feel like it worked out pretty well for both guys. And for yeah. Vince. Yeah, I think it worked out for I think it worked out for Vince. Like I mean, the product has been in a steady decline for the last twenty years, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if there is a blip there, it's like oh five to oh seven. And it's with Cena on Raw as the top guy. It's like he he did make a difference. And I kind of shuddered to think. I think it helped having a face him as the face of your company who could go on CNN and stuff when the Benoit thing happened in 07. Mm-hmm. Um, just like as a as an ambassador for the company. And to be the guy associated with that with that logo, like I I think they made a really good choice. <laughs> well, especially in 07 when there's like Ken Anderson on on TV, like tell, shouting nobody ever used steroids in WWE, and then he gets popped for steroids like a month later. Yeah. Like yeah, having having a calm, good you know, good media trained voice in Cena to be the guy you can throw out there most of the time is was definitely a good thing to have yeah so they like as you said that's kind of the last start the last really big mega stars they made <laughs> were, yeah were john cena and dave batista and so in a lot of ways with their competition dying and then whatever threat ufc posed to their business i think that kind of went away at some point and they were both able to carve out um, their own spots in 
the sport sports adjacent <laughs> world mm-hmm. and we're both ultimately super super successful and so the company kind of has been on autopilot <laughs> for, <laughs> for the last decade or 15 years but i see really three three more here that we can get into real quick the first being the decision to leave pay-per-view and start the network and obviously your pay-per-view had been in steady in steady decline for over a decade when they made the decision first they wanted to get try to get uh, a a cable channel and they were not going to be able to make any money doing that no one was willing to pay them or ask their <laughs> ask their subscribers to pay an additional 25 cents a month or whatever the number was at the time to have a WWE channel so when there was really just Netflix and to a lesser extent Hulu as over the top streaming services WWE decided to launch a streaming service at the beginning of 2014 right around the time we launched this podcast in fact and that's right what's that that's right it was WrestleMania 30 was uh, the day of our first show was the day of WrestleMania 30 which was also the day of the first full WWE main roster pay-per-view on the network live that's that's right and so that's certainly a gamble when you're giving up this revenue stream that you've had and to kind of be not a trailblazer but a fast follower if you will in the streaming service era definitely a gamble i think i think ultimately it was very forward thinking and ultimately a good decision what do you think um, it was definitely forward thinking. I do think the only wrinkle to this I could throw is would they if they had held on a few more years, they maybe could have sold their pay-per-view rights to a ESPN plus, a a Peacock, a a Hulu or something. And then it would be another rights fee game in the same way that they're mostly kept I mean not mostly, they are kept afloat float by their TV money that these record profits they're raking in every year are based on these TV rights fees they had. If they, Rather than doing it in-house, if they made the decision, and obviously that was a, a topic that came up uh, earlier this year, I believe, and, and has kind of came up occasionally. It usually comes up in uh, the earnings calls, but the idea of if they had sold off maybe just the big, big four even um, and put the rest of the stuff on the network, that have been a better idea than just do it all in house and keep it all on this one streaming service. I think that's a fair question. And as you mentioned, you know, the topic came up and it looked like they were get, trying to make a deal beginning of 2020 and for probably a few different reasons, it just fell through. But you know, UFC is there the flagship of ESPN plus mm-hmm. and it, they're paid a flat fee, a, a flat number every year, uh, to to put all those shows on ESPN Plus. And yeah, I get. I guess maybe this one is another incomplete, also because we we still don't know if they're going to be able, you know, pan- once this pandemic is over, and the economics of everything get a little bit more uh, back to normal. Mm-hmm. maybe those they can revisit those conversations but yeah that's that's a fair point i definitely forward thinking and maybe mixed bag on whether or not it ultimately succeeded or not i mean yeah i think in general it's worked out fine <laughs> as far as the gamble goes because whether they were still on pay-per-view or not it wouldn't matter how many pay-per-views they were selling because because right. of because of the television rights fees so Right. Uh, so in that way, it worked out either way, and you demonstrated, uh, you know, your ability to create this thing in-house as well. So yeah, I, I don't, I certainly wouldn't say it hasn't worked out or that it was a that it was a failed gamble. But yeah, I do wonder if if they could be <laughs> raking in even more dough if they had held out the way UFC did. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So right around the same time. The uh, the WrestleMania in New Orleans, Vince made what I would call his final 
this was the final nail in the coffin to me as to whether or not Vince McMahon still had it as far as being a good wrestling promoter or being a creative genius, if he ever was. And this was his idea to have Brock Lesnar end the Undertaker streak. And then the next year at WrestleMania to have Roman Reigns beat Brock Lesnar. And that would launch Roman Reigns as his next bona fide face of the company superstar. Now, ultimately, Vince would get cold feet and change his mind. (laughs) And he would try to put Roman over Brock uh, pretty much for the next three years. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But right off the bat at WrestleMania 31, he had uh, Seth Rollins cash in money in the bank and beat Roman. uh, And he re-signed Brock. And Roman's coronation ended up being delayed. But the so I think we have our answer <laughs> just in the fact that the guy got cold feet <laughs> 365 days later. But the Brock beats Undertaker's streak and then Roman beats Brock. Thus, Roman is the guy. I see that as a huge gamble. Ending the streak is a gamble. Um, and then... Trying to launch a new superstar in this way is a gamble. What do you think? Believing the Undertaker when you, when he tells you he's done, and so you're going to end the streak—that's a gamble. <laughs> As it turns out, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, think in theory, this was all fine, right? You you make a new top monster. He just, you know beats beats the streak, runs through Cena. SummerSlam in dominant fashion, and then you have your new up-and-coming babyface who you have programmed with, like, Randy Orton all fall, and you built him up for the spot. Uh, wrinkle in the plan was that the injured and had never lost the belt, very popular Daniel Bryan returned around this time. And few things they could have done differently. Wait till the night after the Rumble <laughs> to bring Daniel Bryan back. Yeah, uh, I mean, who could have predicted, except that it had already happened once before when Daniel Bryan didn't win the Royal Rumble, uh, <laughs> that the fans were going to turn on the match and turn on the person who was winning? Yeah. Um, who could have predicted other than everyone watching? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, to me, the gamble was, because Roman wasn't really getting booed until that Royal Rumble, I feel like. Maybe there were some, but it wasn't bad. Um, right. I think he was also hurt for a little bit near the end of 2014. Um, and then had like just come back prior to the rumble. He he was out for a month or two. Yeah. Um, but so he was still like, he was still a new fresh guy. He maybe wasn't as over as you want your next heir apparent to be, but people weren't furious. People weren't booing him. But when Daniel, Bryan, when people realized Daniel Bryan was not winning that match, they were furious and they took it out on Roman Reigns and the rock. Yep. And, and now The Rock doesn't like to come to television anymore. <laughs> uh, so that's another gamble. That's another way this gamble didn't pay off. It scared Dwayne from ever doing anything on television ever again. Um, <laughs> but yes. And then, yeah, ultimately he got cold feet about Roman not being ready or not being the guy who can say for sure. Obviously he went back to Roman a few more times. So you assume he still felt he was the next guy, but in choosing to drag his feet and, and have another heel cash in and steal the belt and not even immediately setting up Roman to chase said heel. Yeah. Uh, Roman just kind of does stuff. He wrestles the big show for like six months after that. Uh, so yeah, it was, it's a very weird time when you look back on it, where it seemed the road seemed so clear, and it's like we're just gonna do this, and we're coming off of Cena, who was getting booed pretty vociferously, and still was their top draw for years. So you're like, okay, well we're just gonna have another top guy who gets booed a lot, but this time he changed his mind at the last second. So it's all. <laughs> that's such a muddled mess of a time. And I can't, I don't know that you can say it paid off. I mean, Roman is a a star. He's not, I don't think he's a big, a big main event drawing star. (laughs) He's, he's a guy on the show. He's, he's one of the bigger stars of this era where we don't 
really have stars. So yeah. I, I can't say it paid off. I think in the immediate time, Brock beating the streak felt like a really big deal. And it did feel like it heated up Brock, who had kind of been not, it just kind of was showing up a couple times a year, didn't feel all that special. Like it made Brock feel special again. It just, the end goal was never, was never, uh, was never quite what it should have been, unfortunately. And that, so it's like we got, it, like the, the first part of it seemed good, like a good idea on paper. And then just all of it, the execution, Brian coming back, uh, Vince getting cold feet, uh, going, deciding to go with the, with a, with Triple H's, uh, protege as the new Triple H who comes out and starts every show with a 20 minute heel promo. Uh, <laughs> like none, I, I can't, you can't say it's worked out because even from where they were in, in 2016 or 20, 2015, they're, you know, they've lost a lot of viewers even since then. So I can't say that it's worked out super well, but it doesn't feel like it's been a total complete failure, but you, you, there was this sort of, we talked just briefly, about Cena and, and Batista and him kind of looking at things and making the switch and then kind of full speed ahead from there. And this time it was like, well, we made a switch, but then we go back to the guy that we decided wasn't the guy. And then we keep, you know, it just this period of indecisiveness that has kind of hung over uh, Vince McMahon's creative vision for the last five or six years is, uh, is really something. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Now, obviously, I guess they must have been afraid that had they just had they done what I'm about to propose that the crowd would have just crapped all over it. But wouldn't it have made more sense just to have Roman beat the undertaker and then have Roman steamroll Cena? Could have instead of doing it like through a third party. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at it, they had Roman set the rumble record right at that point. So yeah, you could have just had him destroy everyone. And if people boo him, turn him heel <laughs> you right. know they, they they turned rock in in the end of 98 when they when he was getting you know a lot of cheers yeah because they i think they felt in the long term he's going to be a heel and then after a little while of being a heel he'll be an even bigger face and it paid off yeah so if your end goal is roman reigns the badass guy who beats everyone and and kills everybody yeah you, you could have just started him out and kind of gauged fan reaction and if people were upset that you go all right well he's a monster heel and you you know and you just feed people to him for a while and either he would have gotten over because he would have been so dominant and badass that people would have they would have turned to baby face or eventually you find your next top guy to be the conquering hero like which honestly probably would have been cena again but like (laughs) (laughs) well i think i think you're exactly right so you have him steamroll everybody you turn him heel if the crowd craps on it which they probably would have but then ultimately, the bigger the heel, the bigger the baby face. People, you have mm-hmm. run through everybody for a year. And then you bring along another monster heel who screws them somehow or whatever. And then, boom, you turn him and you got your guy. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, uh, that one is always going to stick with me. It's like that was the last piece of evidence that I needed to see when I'm going to judge whether or not Vince McMahon was ever a creative genius. <laughs> it was like, all right, that was his last big idea. And it didn't work. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. no. <laughs> but, all right, one last one here. And this is a fairly recent one. The banning talent from doing third-party deals in the middle of a pandemic when there are no house shows. And talent is looking to make a little extra money on the side, doing cameos with their twitch channels and their video games <laughs> mm-hmm. and vince says nope you can't do that yeah you're not an employee you're an independent contractor but i get to tell you who you can and cannot uh have uh, endorsement deals with or do a third-party deals with and i guess you can see here as wwe has launched their superstar gaming series uh, on on YouTube and Twitch, and that they are seeing this as a revenue source for them, and they set up the Undertaker and Drew McIntyre with cameos, where they set the price, 
and the companies pay them and then they pay the talent. I see this as a gamble, though, because ultimately it has opened the door for talk of unionization at a level that is more serious than it's been probably in 30 years. And ultimately, ultimately we'll have to see if anything comes of it, but this is a gamble, and I don't think it's one worth... I don't think it's it's one worth making, but clearly he disagrees. Yeah, I... 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 I think most people would have understood or expected if it was a crackdown on using your WWE names. Right. Uh, for instance, uh, if you got a cameo from the boss this year, she had to introduce herself as Mercedes instead of the boss Sasha Banks. Right. Like I would, I would understand that. Right. Like it still seems a little silly and arbitrary, but whatever. You know, it's your your intellectual property. So if you're gaming or you're doing cameo or whatever. You got to do it as Austin Watson or whatever. Like, fine, you know, right. that's fine. I think everyone would have understood that. But to take it a step further, as AJ Styles uh, detailed in an interview at the end of December, which wow, that was already a few weeks ago, um, yeah. <laughs> men- mentioning that basically he, Xavier Woods, and uh, and the boss. Uh, we're in a meeting with Vince about this, and Vince told them that your face is my intellectual pro- property. <laughs> and AJ Styles said, okay. And that I think will do a lot about who AJ Styles is as a person. <laughs> um, I think it tells you a lot of, yeah, if if nothing comes of this, and obviously there, it also got, I think, a little bit of mainstream attention uh, because yeah, Andrew Yang, who certainly has an... Uh, a big following on the internet, if not, and if not in real life, talk <laughs> a lot about it. Uh, I mean, look, dude, when a dude gets less than 1% in primaries, I don't think you can say he's a popular figure, but he's on, he's a CNN analyst. He's, you know, he's got a podcast. He's got a fervent fit Twitter following. It's not nothing when he starts talking about how he's going to talk to people in the incoming Biden administration about, WWE classifying their wrestlers and independent contractors. We'll we'll have to wait and see if there's anything on that end. He also just filed paperwork to run for mayor in New York City, so like he might be busy with other things. <laughs> but yeah, uh, for the fact that there were people who were either recently fired or people still technically under contract, like Paige, uh, openly talking about unionization, um, that's certainly a. a, a I think a, a bet, as you mentioned, it is a big gamble when you seemingly could have just cracked down on the no using your WWE name or your WWE, you know, merch or whatever or or whatever, and kind of kept it at that point and make them run a banner that says this stream does not represent the views of World Wrestling Entertainment. If you want, like, right. or whatever, like whatever you have to do to make yourself feel insulated from any potential uh, drawbacks that you could face from anything, any heated gaming moments that uh, Alan Jones <laughs> might have. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, to take it this step further and say that your your face is my intellectual property and you're not allowed to make any money for yourself on the side um it's a big one like you said it just the fact that it got that much attention and it got people talking about unionization on a level that has not really been seen in in our lifetime uh that's 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 something that's that's certainly a gamble (laughs) and it will remain to be seen if it if it pays off in the long run for him yeah well we hope you've enjoyed this two-part retrospective split over uh, a few weeks here of our uh, kind of a trip down memory lane through some of Vince McMahon's bigger gambles in wrestling. I like this uh, retrospective stuff. Sometimes I like it more than talking about the current product because even though we are the first and only wrestling podcast, mm-hmm, sometimes mm-hmm. I don't feel like we're uh, contributing to the discourse. Maybe I feel like uh, something like this sets us apart a little bit. So maybe we will uh, revisit topics like this in the future. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I I I don't mind talking uh, current wrestling, especially 
you know, I think pandemic made it hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. To talk about topical wrestling. Cause it's like, well, they tried real hard, but there's no <laughs> noise. So it's yeah. kind of sad. Like there's only so many times you can go through that, that speech when it comes to reviewing a match or a promo or whatever. So, so yeah, I, I definitely think that's that's a that's a good idea that we might uh, try to work in a bit more evergreen content, as it were, and more uh, or looks back on uh, on various things and various characters in the wrestling business, like uh, like Vincent K. McMahon here. All right. Well, until next time, everybody. I'm Ethan, and I'm Liam, and we'll be back soon with more stories from the wrestling life. Happy New Year. for listening don't forget to leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts now here are this week's bonus features happy new year dick clark <laughs> i think he's in heaven or hell oh i don't know you gotta imagine anybody from that era of show business probably touched somebody. <laughs> Emotionally? No. <laughs> no, physically. I don't know. He just seems like a guy who would have been grabby. It's America's oldest teenager. Uh-huh. Oh, that's a weird... Mm. <laughs> What's his nickname? Uh huh. All right. Weird. (laughs) I'm gonna leave this in and hope we don't get sued by Dick Clark's estate or Ryan Seacrest. Allegedly, everything I've just said was alleged. (laughs) The energy, the magic is about to happen, and the man is gonna do it for us right now. Let's go to the master. It is the time for Dick Clark to take over and count us down. Dick! Thank you, my friend. Now, the moment we've all been waiting for. It's coming right up. You're going to hear a roar of the crowd, and believe me, you will never, ever forget it. Are you ready? Count it down. Ready? Okay, here we go now. 24, 23, 22, 21, 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Happy New Year! I try to keep on keeping on.